I have no idea what that is. I don't understand Jesus' joy, and I don't understand joy at all. And so I started asking around, and it turned out a lot of people didn't understand Jesus' joy. So I spent a whole year studying the joy of Jesus and what it means to Jesus and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as a trinity and what it means for us. And I have come to the conclusion that you can sum up Jesus' joy in two words, and those two words are his Father. That was the joy set before him when he endured the cross to be reunited with his Father. Then, we had at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when he started his teaching, he went up to Nazareth, he went to his hometown synagogue, he opened the scroll of Isaiah to chapter 61, and he read this verse. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And we have seen him do that. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. We have seen him do that to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And we saw him when he pronounced his seven woes, that he did that. And the woes and the vengeance of God are against those who put their place as teachers of God, but then don't teach grace, mercy, forgiveness, justice, taking care of the poor and the widows. Those are the ones that Jesus pronounced his woes against. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. And Zion is a euphemistic term for all of Israel and for all believers. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. And today we are going to see how he gives the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of despair. But before we even get into our passage, I want to review my favorite chiasm in the whole Bible, which is this one in Isaiah 52 and 53. See, my servant will act wisely. This is describing Jesus. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. But before he is highly exalted and raised up, he will be despised rejected, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. He will be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And then the center verse of this is, by his wounds we are healed. And then it goes on to say, the transgressions of my people, he was stricken, yet it was the Lord's will to cause him to suffer. And then our final verse, therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. And this is the verse that we are going to see fulfilled today in our passage. All this set before us by Isaiah, long before Jesus came. Now, on your table, you have an order of resurrection events. A lot of the commentaries say, don't do this, just take each gospel. But I thought, no, this helps me. I need to know what happened. So I'm just quickly going to go through this. And I didn't want you to bother taking notes, so I made a handout for each of you. 
In the early morning, the women go to the grave, even though they don't know how they're going to get in to finish anointing Jesus. This is in Mark 16. We know that a precious few of the women were still loyal to Jesus, and these women had grit and courage. There are three that are named, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and Salome, the mother of James and John, uh, and also by other women. And Luke, the two passages in Luke tell us this. Uh, the three find the stone removed in our passage today, uh, 28.2. Mary Magdalene hurries then to tell Peter and John, who run to the grave. John tells us this in John 20. Meanwhile, the other women enter the tomb and see angels who assure them that Jesus has risen, and they run to tell others. That's our passage today. Peter and John arrive, enter and observe the cloths laying there, and leave. John tells us this again in John 20. Mary Magdalene returns, weeps, and Jesus speaks to her, also John 20. The other women, on the way to the disciples, are met by Jesus, and this is our passage today. So let's get into it, Matthew 28, 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. So after the Sabbath, this is Sunday morning, the first day of the week, and this is the big event. It begins at dawn. Just as it says when God created the earth, that was the beginning and the ending of the first day. Then he rested on the seventh day. And this, the new work of the kingdom, starts on the first day, which is why we worship on Sundays. Now, I want you to realize there are no actual eyewitnesses to the resurrection itself. All we get to see is how it affected the people afterwards. But I love this violent earthquake and the angel coming down out of heaven, going to the tomb and rolling back a stone. And I love, love, love that he sat down on it. To me, this is angelic humor. This is personality. He said, oh, I don't have to stand here. I can just sit. And so he sits down. And the women, they tell the disciples, the angel sat down. Pretty exciting, I think. Anyway, somehow this detail is important. And the stones are nothing to God's angelic power. And his appearance is also important, like lightning and clothes like snow. But the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now we heard that Pilate had sent them. There is irony here. Matthew is stating that the person inside the tomb was the one who was supposed to be dead, and the people outside were supposed to be alive, but the person inside the tomb is no longer there because he's alive, but the men on the outside that were supposed to be alive are now is dead. Okay, so you just have to look at the humor in this story, it's there. The appearance of the angels terrified the guards. 
The appearance also terrifies um, the women, but he is there to comfort them. And so he says to the women, do not be afraid. And it's, don't you be afraid. It's okay for them to be afraid, but don't you be afraid. For I know you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. So angels are interesting here. They don't fear death. They also worship Jesus as their king. And they are watchers in the drama of Jesus' demonstration of God's love for humans. It's angelic strength that rolls away the stone, and it's angelic light that lights the inside of the tomb. And it's angelic words that are tender and encouraging. Here at the tomb, the strong angelic beings and the weak humans meet and work together to tell others the best news in the universe. So first the angel calms their fears, do not be afraid, and this is a validation of their terror. Now, he says, he's not here. He has risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. He has risen is one word in the Greek. Everything that you and I believe hangs on one word. He has risen. It reminds also Jesus' own simple words, simple and true, never complicated, one word. And then he says, come and see, check it out for yourself. This is such a gentle invitation. Just make it your own. Come and see, come and look. He wants to show them. The reason they know that Jesus was risen is if someone had stolen the body, they would have taken the cloths too, but they're still there. So, they didn't steal the body. He is alive. Check out the fact. Then go quickly. Tell his disciples he's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now, Jesus had told his disciples in Matthew 26, that they're going to strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So the angel is reminding these women what Jesus said. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and wonder, to run to tell his disciples, look at what we've got here. We have fear, joy, wonder, action, running. These women did not stand still. And then the most wonderful thing happened that just gives me the chills. Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshiped him. But I say, that's not what he said. He said, kairete, which means rejoice exceedingly. So I'm going to translate this, oh joy. Not good morning. <laughs> Not greetings. Oh, joy. I'm alive, and I'm here with you. And they came and they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. This is the most exceedingly great reward in heaven that Jesus mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. The same word. Rejoice, be exceedingly glad. And it's what he was talking about when he prayed for his disciples before he went to the cross. 
I'm saying these things in the world's hearing so my people can experience my joy complete in them. And then in Hebrews 12, too, which I mentioned before, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, here's how I read it. Suddenly Jesus met them. Oh, joy, he said to them. And they came and clasped his feet and worshipped him. Now, precious few of us have ever experienced such a moment of exceeding joy. The jumping up and down, high-fiving, selfies with Jesus kind of moment. We just don't get it. But I heard something on Facebook, and I thought, that's the kind of joy. And what I'm going to show you, this little clip, is when a young man is drafted by the Seahawks. And you hear his voice, and it's kind of tentative, and then he's from a small town in Texas, and all the women in his life who loved him are there in the room, and they finally are getting the news. And so here it is. that the tomb was empty. 
This last view of the religious leaders is so tragic. Matthew's telling of this story is all about Jesus as their Messiah, the Savior of Israel. The resurrection is the end of centuries of prophecy and patience. The lie was willingly swallowed by the masses, and fake news took hold of history. Matthew merely states this fact of the lie and that it still has a life of its own. And then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. Now, this Bible is one of two. Hugh and I gave each other these Bibles in 1968. They're old Schofield reference Bibles, and it's a King James Version. But what I want to read to you from this Bible today is one of my favorite passages when I was in my 20s and 30s, and it, and it was always in this version. And so I wanted to read it to you, and it's the words of Peter. And it's after he has seen and been reunited with Jesus, after he's been empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the joy that he experiences since he was forgiven for denying Jesus three times. First Peter 3, 8 through 3 through 8. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? An inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, Away, reserved in heaven for you, you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, rejoice exceedingly, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold trials that the trial of your faith, being much more precious of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And this is my all-time favorite verse. Whom, Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, Peter saw him, but we don't get to see him, but even so, you love him. And whom though now you see him not yet believing, you are you rejoice with joy, unspeakable, full of glory. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Jesus is reunited with his Father, and now he is able to share that joy with his followers. And then it says, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, some of us doubt all the time, every day, every moment, especially when, as Peter put it, we are in heaviness of trials. But the main thing is that we keep believing and that that joy will somehow sustain us in the end. 
I even doubt sometimes that God will triumph over my own sin nature, over the troubles of my family, over the troubles in the world. But God tells us that he will triumph. And then Jesus says some more. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so Matthew turns us to Jesus' new kingdom. And it starts with all. Jesus is in charge of all. All authority. He has all authority. Remember when uh, Mona taught he could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't? That's the authority he has for you and for me. He could have called all of this authority. Therefore, go and make disciples to all nations. Everybody. There's no walls in the kingdom of heaven. Everybody is invited. All nations. Baptizing them in all of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey all, everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you all the days, always, to the very end of the age. Here it is, the Great Commission. Jesus commanding authority. Jesus commanding mission. Baptizing, teaching. And Jesus commanding presence. Remember when we were in that Isaiah, the last verse of that beautiful chiasm? Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils of the strong. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are the spoils that he is dividing among the strong. Us, you and me. And what does that mean for us? It means that now the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on us because the Lord has anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor, to help us bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance on our God, we have the ability to know what is true and what is false in teaching of grace and justice and mercy and forgiveness. And we know when we can reject it because it's not of God. We have the power of Jesus Christ to comfort those who mourn and provide for those who grieve and bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair. So the question is, are you held captive by a bully? Sometimes those bullies live inside us, and sometimes they are outside us. But Jesus wants to proclaim you free from those bullies. And he wants you and us as a group to comfort each other when there's a death of a loved one. And he promises that comforting and provision. It is his crown of beauty and our crown of beauty that he gives us. And our joy, the oil of joy. The last word here is the garment of praise. 
And we live in this verse with his authority and power. Sing with me again. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still and striving cease. My